G'day everyone, Sean here, just introducing this episode, this is part two of another Bloody Movie podcast, full Melbourne International Film Festival coverage slash wrap up with friend of the show and honorary co-host Eric Tisher. If you have not listened to part one of this Melbourne International Film Festival wrap up, I highly recommend you go listen to that. We talked about a number of films, including Climax, Wildlife, Burning, Leave No Trace, Shoplifters, The Man Who Killed Don Quixote, and so much more. Please check out part one if you haven't already. This is part two. Hope you enjoy it. Cheers. Okay, the next film we are going to talk about is Probably the first dud of the festival, and this is a real shame because when I heard about this film, I it thought I thought this really could have been really good, but it just wasn't. So this is a um, I believe it's a Moroccan film, but when I've tried to see which country this is from, because this is set in Morocco, but like I get everywhere from Belgium to France to Qatar to all these other places, but even though it's set in Morocco, and I believe the f- filmmaker is Moroccan, but also French or Belgian or something, I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, this is a film called Sophia. This has a very, very a really great premise. So in in countries like Morocco and a lot of North African countries, especially, uh, sex outside of wedlock carries a mandatory jail sentence of up to a year. Which, by the way, that's ridiculous. Yeah, to it's be quite absurd. honest, that is ridiculously absurd. It's a grim reality that looms over twenty-year-old Sophia when stomach cramps turn into un- unexpected labour. Her medical student cousin, Lena, attempts to help, but the trip to the hospital soon sees Sophia's disapproving parents scrambling to cover up her situation and to provide paperwork identifying the father. So, this film is essentially, yeah, this this young girl has a baby out of wedlock, and to make sure that she doesn't go to prison, essentially, she's trying to find out who the father is. In like She has like 24 hours to find out who the father is and get her to sign the paperwork to pretty much get married. That sounds like an interesting present premise, right? Mm. And you know, good social commentary in this as well. Like, hey, this rule, this law that's in a lot of North African countries, including Morocco, is really fucked. Mm. So, yeah, but it just does nothing with it. My God, this movie's so boring. It's just, it's not really well done. Like the it, technically, it's okay, but the acting is not really that good at all. It's just a real slog to sit through. It's only 80 minutes too, but it's just so slow, so boring. It should so be it interesting. So it feels longer than 80 minutes? It does. And it's just a movie that just... yeah, it, it, it has It's such a missed opportunity. And like I really wanted to like this, but it just did nothing with its really, really good premise. And right when the film started to get interesting, the movie ends. <laughs> so that's where I was like, well, what was the point? Honestly, this was this movie was a complete waste of time, and I'm really I'm really done talking about it. So, give Sophia a miss. It is the first Moroccan film I think I've seen, and hopefully Morocco. I'm not I'm not entirely aware about your um the state of your film industry or like how if you, if there are any really good Moroccan films. But if you have a better film than Sophia, then please tell me because I'd like to see because something I want to do now that uh, seeing all these films from a bunch of different countries over myth. I want to try and do a movies from around the world challenge where if I can try and find at least one film from every country in the world and watch a film from them. That might be a bit tough because some countries probably don't have, well, definitely don't have a film industry or a sustainable yeah. film industry. It might so be some, hard for you to actually get copies of some of these Exactly, films yeah. But it, it, is, it is something I would very much like to do at some point. But anyway, yeah, if I if I do this challenge, Sophia will not be my choice for Morocco though. 
All right. Uh, next film I'm going to talk about. This is one that's uh, a. This is one of the few documentaries, or the first documentary that I saw of the festival. Uh, this is. Um, is it? Yeah. This was the first documentary. This is making waves over in the states as well because this is an American documentary. This is oh. called Three Identical Strangers. Now the story for this movie is absolutely fascinating. Now, have you heard of this? Yeah, you've told me before. There's right. Oh, yeah, I told you the last yeah. episode because I missed this at Sydney. And when I found out, I, I didn't find out about it until after after everyone had saw it at Sydney and the next session had sold out. So I really wanted to see this when it came to Melbourne and all three MIF sessions did sell out um, because it's just gotten so much buzz. And it is getting a Nova, for Melbourneites listening, uh, the Cinema Nova in Carlton is the only um, the only cinema in the state playing this film. So get along to the Nova from August 30th and go see this film if you want to catch it. Because this is a documentary about uh, a young man who, when he was 19, goes to college. And everyone at the college is like, oh, welcome back, welcome back. And it's like, I'm new, what the hell? Why? Who, who, who do you think I am? And then this guy comes up and is like, you look exactly like my best friend. So they get in the car, they go to this guy's house, these two find each other. They look exactly the same. Turns out they're twin brothers that were separated at birth. And that these, it becomes a sensation. There's a whole article written about them in the newspaper. And this, young, this, this other kid re- reads this and sees these two people in the newspaper that look exactly like him, find out they have the same birthday as him as well. And it's like, oh my God, these two are twins that look exactly like me. I think I, I know I'm adopted. I must be the third triplet, th- third triplet, and yeah, it's this incredibly charming story of these three boys, like you know, reuniting with each other as adults after they were separating at bir- separated at birth, and is just such a fascinating story as to like what how they reunited, like what and how just really alike they were. But then the movie takes a bit. This documentary takes a bit of a turn because the parents start asking question uh, questions as to like, okay. Why did the adoption agency never tell us that there were triplets? Because one, if there was, we would have all, all parents were like, we would have taken all three if we had known that they were all triplets. But two, why didn't they tell us? Why and why did one happen to go to a blue collar family? One went to a more middle class family, and the other went to a more affluent rich family. Is there something more sinister at play here? And that's what this documentary delves into, and it is fascinating. Like, it's just such a compelling watch. Like, there's some great, just, like, reveals and turns in this. It does lose a bit of momentum at about the hour mark, and they do reuse... There's only so much footage of these boys, so unfortunately the filmmaker does have to reuse certain footage, which got a little bit too much, but it's just such a fascinating story. The documentary isn't quite as well made as the story deserves, I guess, but it's very, very good definitely check this one out one of the stronger documentaries of this year so sounds good sounds interesting the the premise is interesting at least so it'd be an interesting read yeah, if it, i don't actually it's, eventually it's al- watch it it's almost like something out of science fiction like the film opens with um one of the one of the brothers saying if it didn't happen to me i would never have believed this was real yeah i mean it's like a very highly unlikely situation to ever occur mm. All right, and the next film I saw the, the same night as this one was I went to the world premiere, and this was the other uh, narrative film that was the MIF, uh, funded by the MIF Premiere Fund. Uh, Undertow was this film. Um, this is uh, the first film from uh, Miranda Nation, who is a writer and director and who has actually worked a lot 
uh, worked a lot with MIF, uh, was was part of the uh, their accelerator program. You know, um, a program for like young emerging filmmakers to like uh, like show their shorts in the, like show show off their short films and like you know get get attention and hopefully get feature projects like try to pitch feature projects and get them funded. So yeah, she so Miranda Nation is essentially like a MIF success story in a way, and this is like a weird psychological thriller. Uh, shot, shot on location, shot on location, and set in Geelong, which is really cool. Mm. Um, it's kind of a reverse Fatal Attraction. So what happens? There's this uh, woman uh, who's played by Laura Gordon, who's very, very good in this movie, and is one of the few reasons why you should go see this movie. <laughs> yeah. um, she plays a woman that uh, has a miscarriage, um, and you know, as you'd expect, is traumatized by this, and. Um, when she discovers that her footballer, her hu- her husband, who's an AFL footballer, possibly is uh, having an affair with this young girl that is pregnant, played by uh, Olivia De Jong of uh, one of uh, my favourite films from last year, not Better Watch Out. Um, uh, yeah, so she starts to become obsessed with this young girl, starts stalking her, and like wants to know what really happening, and like is there something that her husband and she is covering up? This movie, yeah, good good premise, but it's just it's a big missed opportunity in the end. Like mm. it, the the director described this as kind of like a celebration of like the female experience and a celebration of the female body. And things like that, which... Did she explain why? Not really. Like, there's just... I mean, yes, you show a, you show a couple of women naked, and yes, that doesn't really make it an exploration into the female experience or any of that stuff. And yes, it is tragic what happens at so the beginning. So you don't think that in, like, either the way it's shot or, like, I don't know. No, just, not really. So it's... Oh, okay. That's, it was a bit of a... Dis- sad. It was disappointing, but then as well, like, it also tries to be... So it tries to be, like, this, you know, ex- this exploration into the female experience and all this stuff but then also it tries to have like this commentary on like the toxic masculine afl like football culture that is like present all throughout like local football clubs but the problem with the movie is it doesn't really commit to either of them it's just kind of this hodgepodge but as i said a huge plus to this movie is laura gordon who is just absolutely outstanding in this film olivia de jong who also um, I, I, I mispronounced her name earlier. It's De Jong, not De Jong. Um, as I said, uh, she's been in a few things now. Uh, she was um, in M. Night Shyamalan's The Visit. She was in, as I said, the aforementioned terrible film, Better Watch Out. And yeah, this, then it was f- cool seeing her actually use her Australian accent as, a par- as opposed to a pretty terrible American accent like she has in both of those films. And yeah, she's pretty good in this movie. But yeah, it's just thema- yeah, thematically a little bit confused. It is a little bit just meandering at points but also this movie has some of the most on the nose and obvious soundtrack choices i have heard in a film since suicide squad i'm not joking there is a scene where olivia de jong whose character is kind of like a you know wrong side of the tracks kind of promiscuous you know like hardcore you know punk kind of girl right mm-hmm. so what song do they play when uh she's having it when she's having in a during a sex scene with her character oh let's go with joan jett's bad reputation <laughs> oh my goodness it was terrible it's the worst use of that song since shrek i'm not tell- <laughs> i'm telling you right now but also like uh, even at the very beginning of the film when after she suspects she's having a miscarriage and she's driving herself to the hospital to you know, try and save her baby or whatever. Mm. She, it, what what song is playing on the radio? The Divinals' "Pleasure and Pain." 
And I'm like, oh, oh what? God, really? That, that doesn't seem very fitting. No, well, it's just lyrically. It's lyrically for both of these songs. It's like, could you be more obvious? Mm. Yeah, it's just a huge missed opportunity. And like, there was honestly, like when that happened, I mean, it was in the first like five minutes of the film. I honestly wanted to yell out, oh, fuck you. <laughs> but the thing is, I was at the world premiere, so all of the uh, cast and, uh, you know, filmmakers <laughs> and stuff were there. So I was like, okay, I better shut up about this. <laughs> fuck you, person who picked the songs. <laughs> fuck you. Uh, I mean, I really feel bad about trashing this movie because I love supporting Australian films. I really do, and especially ones funded I don't through know. the. I mean, you should just you should just be you shouldn't cut them slack. You, you if you want the Australian industry want, to be I strong, you got to be, be harsh on them. I want it to be good, and I really, really wanted this movie to be good, but it's just kind of okay. Yeah, it's interesting enough. It did keep my attention, but it's just it could have been so much more. Mm. That's that's unfortunate. Because I, I heard that the, the book was supposed to be quite good. The the book? Wasn't it based off a book? No, no. Am I thinking of a different film that I you... Think, yo, they're thinking of A Cute Misfortune, which we talked about oh, earlier. Oh, yeah, I'm thinking of A Cute Misfortune. Which was about Whoops. biography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talked about... It was it was like an hour ago, Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if you're listening to this on the pos- podcast, oh, well, possibly a week. Yeah, well, I mean... Because we saw, we saw these films quite a while ago. Yes. I mean, we, we have talked about them before. This is now where we're talking about them all together. All right. Uh, next film, two, a double feature that we both caught. We oh, yeah. saw, finally, finally got to see First Reformed, mm. which I have now discovered is not getting a theatrical release in Australia. So, Eric, we were part of possibly the handful of people in the country that will have had the chance to have seen this on the big screen. And you know what? We were lucky. Because this film, I feel, is made for the big screen in the way oh, that it yeah. looks. I mean, it looks nice. It looks. It, it's one of the best. It's, it's the best shot film of the year so far. If this well, movie yeah. does not get, if this doesn't get best cinematography, I will freak. Yeah, I mean, it's at oh, least a nomination. It's very well shot. Just talking in terms of composition and the lighting, yeah, like spe- speaking the natural of, lighting, really, yeah, calls to the harsh tone of the film. Yeah, really, and they, it really gives it's that, very that moody kind of, you know, like it, very. Well, it's very angsty mm. in, in the sense of the, that that um the the priest um, that Ethan Hawke um, plays is very is a very conflicted priest and he's always got this like these dark thoughts like lingering uh, above his head it's sort of it's something that you see in a lot of uh, Paul Schrader's writing work um, so yeah I mean it was fantastic to see on the big screen although it wasn't as strong as I would have wanted it to be unfortunately uh, what were some of your problems with the film because I, I I think this is the best American film I saw at well, the festival so it's strange, like I, like I see people comparing it to Winter's Light and Diary of a of a Country Priest, which is uh, which is quite fair. Although I don't think it's as good as either of those. Okay, films. now I'm not I'm not familiar with Schrader's work. Are those his films? No, those aren't his oh, films. Okay. by other filmmakers. It's weird when I watch First Reform because I just think Taxi Driver because because uh, a, a lot of what Schrader does with um, Ethan Hawke's character reminds me of. Travis Bickle does in Taxi Driver, like you know, he's Travis Bickle sort of. He sort of writes to himself, but it's in the form of like note. Well, he's sort of writing to his family, but it's kind of him like really speaking to himself because he's such a huge loner. Ethan Hawke is the same. He's a he's this, he's this lonely man that sort of isolates himself from the rest of the world. Although weirdly enough, in um in a uh, first reform, it makes him really naive and he's not too aware of uh, 
the impact of climate change to the fact yeah. that it, 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 it creates a, a very big, there's a huge, very huge turning point in the, in the film where his character is, uh, uh, develops, uh, quite interestingly, I would say like a very big change. Uh, I probably don't want to spoil it. Um, mm. I will just I say, I don't like how the ending is handled. I think you don't like the ending. I think it's terrible. It's absolutely fucking shit. It, it's See, like, it reminds you of uh, hardcore. I thought that had a terrible ending. Although I thought the uh, that's a film made by Paul Schrader. Mm. Although I thought Hardcore overall was a very it was quite a strong film. It was a lot better than I thought it was. Um, just like Hardcore, like one of the strongest uh, aspects of the film is um, Ethan Hawke's performance. Um, oh, he's amazing in this film. Oh, he's 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 brilliant. Although I mean, uh, I I've loved Ethan Hawke for quite a while oh, now. I mean, you're a big fan I, of Linklater. I've I've yeah, I'm a big fan of Linklater. So like, how can you I, not I've like I've Ethan loved Hawk. Ethan Hawke since The Explorers. People will say Dead Poet Society, but fuck those guys. I've seen The Explorers. That is a fun movie. Mm. Alongside yeah. River Phoenix in that movie. R.I.P. Yeah. Oh well, so. Visually, very strong film. Uh, Writing-wise, can be a bit heavy-handed. The the ending sucks. I'll just say that. I, I I didn't mind it. It's I I don't want to spoil it, but it's just the film is going into a particular direction where it should have ended in this very particular way, or like you know one of many ways that would have ended in. in I'll just say that it shouldn't have had a somewhat of, of a hopeful ending, but it, it did, and it was very unfitting to the uh, to the rest of the tone of the film, especially when I think that um this could just be because like the, the uh, Ethan Hawke's character was lonely but the the relationship to the, the this could be be because both characters were actually in fact lonely and that they 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 suffered the loss of a family member but I, I think that both characters didn't really connect as well as as the film would make it out to be mm. like I don't think their their relationship was would should have been as strong as it was depicted. It, it, is this Hawk and his ex-wife? This is not his ex-wife. That's Hawk and the and the wife of well that radical uh, tree hugger man. Oh oh yeah. You, you oh. don't ever see Hawk's ex-wife. Yeah, you do. She's running. She's at the um, the church. She's the lady with the glasses. Oh yeah yeah. And you, oh, you're talking no, about she's it. Not, you're, you're, is she, was she the ex-wife? I think so. I, I think no no implies no. that, don't they? No, they imply that they had sex in the past, but because they're a part, they're a part of the church. You know, they Christian church, Christian well, American Southern Church doesn't like that. I, I thought that they were saying that, like, he became a pastor, like that was a form of salvation after his son died in in Iraq, wasn't that? That was uh, him trying to make it. Well, him trying to redeem himself or make amends of sorts. No, that the quiet teacher, I don't think, was his ex-wife. That was just. She was just a choir teacher. She just fancied him. He didn't really fancy oh, her. Oh, okay. But she, uh, as he bluntly put out in the film, she just uh, brings out um, all these, like, I don't know, traumatic memories oh, okay. of his ex-wife or whatever. All right. I thought that was his ex-wife. No, okay, I, mis- his, I must have completely misread that then. But I, I still think this, yeah, it's the strongest American film I saw of the festival. Yeah. I think, yeah, it's anchored by really, like, beautifully, dire- beautiful direction from Schrader, like, an incredible performance from Ethan Hawke, and as you said, the cinematography, like, the mm. use of, not not necessarily all natural light, because there is some artificial lighting, but there's no, oh. there's no additional yeah. lighting, though, yeah, which is just makes the film, yeah, just builds well, on yeah. this dark when atmosphere. I, when I say natural lighting, I mean there isn't someone waving a bloody stage light behind mm. the camera, yeah. like, it's just, yeah. As I put it, the natural lighting and and the, and the lighting in the scene, yeah. Well, so I'll just say realistic lighting, just to just to make it more uh, correct. 
yeah, audience Australian audiences are really going to miss out seeing this on the big screen because I think it's a very, very good cinematic experience. I do disagree with you a little bit on the ending. Like, I didn't mind it, and like, I think the the oh. events leading up to that were really, really good because you had no, oh, yeah. I, I had no idea where it was going to go. Really, I oh, I was like. Uh, I was like, oh, I was, I was just thinking, is he really going to do it? Is he actually really going to do it? Or I not? thought he was going to do it. Uh, I'll just say, check off suicide vest. The, yeah, that, that's it, honestly what I thought was going to happen in this. Right. Well, um, it's just it was weird because I knew it was going to happen as soon as I saw that bomb vest, and like I was like, okay, I know where this is going. I mean, I've seen too many Schrader films, I guess, but um. But this yeah. this film just evokes, especially with all the um the environmentalist and climate change stuff, which I, I admit, admittedly is a little it's bit a little too heavy handed, a bit heavy handed. But I think it work. I think it still works though. But it just, especially in the way, it's just like ah oh, fuck, we're doomed, aren't we? Like th- th- there's this whole talk I about. I like despi- how he ties it into it being like sort of cataclysmic. Yeah, and so I like how he ties it to religion. Although mm-hmm. I think just the way that he presents the issue is very heavy handed. It's not going to be. Yeah, too but hard then, to but then all, th- that entire discussion of like hope versus despair and all that, I just found that captivating, and it's oh, just yeah. also just like, uh, yeah, fuck. I mean, there's a couple of. Yeah. Uh, it does get a little bit political. I think there is a couple of there are a couple of shots at Trump in that. Yeah. In that kind of conversation as well, yeah. but it's just. Although, I, yeah, the camera work is fantastic. Like, I bring up Diary of a Country Priest. Uh, for the most part, it's kind of shot like a Robert Brisson film. Barely any... Ca- I think there was only one piece of camera movement, and that was at the beginning of the film. So, pretty much just, like, static shots and very well-composed shots. And as we said, the, the lighting's fantastic. So, strongest aspect is its visual aspect. Uh, and uh, and Ethan Hawke. Uh, writing's not too strong, I found, but... Um, other than that, I guess it's it's all right. It's disappointing, at least I find. If you've if you've seen a lot of Schrader films, you might know what's going to happen with this one. <laughs> Besides the ending, yeah. So would you describe uh, the experience of watching this film? Like some some people would have thought it was a nice fine glass of whiskey, but for you, it felt like someone poured a little bit of Pepto into that whiskey <laughs> and you just drank it. So you, when you see the film, you know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, well, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. As I said, it's just like. It's 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 like it's, it was as if uh, I was watching someone uh, redress a uh, taxi driver and slap on a hardcore ending. <laughs> in uh, like um, in pastor pastor robes. In, pa- in pastor robes, uh, just taxis now at church. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, the next film we saw after that, like straight after, in the same cinema as well. Oh, yeah. By the way, Hoyt's Melbourne Central, the best venue of the Melbourne International Film Festival by far. Not like the Astor. Ooh, okay. Well, I didn't say one at the Asta, so... Oh, well. Um, we, we saw the Danish film The Guilty, which, to set the scene for this film, this is about a uh, policeman who is on, you, who you assume is on some kind of probation at the moment, like a mm. detective or an officer of some kind. He is working in the, uh, in the, opera- in the operations of the like, emergency call centre, mm. and uh, he gets a phone call from a woman who has been kidnapped or who he suspects to have been kidnapped mm. and through a series of phone calls he has to try and rescue this woman from her captor. Mm. Think Locke with Tom Hardy meets that really, really bad movie with um, Halle Berry where she's the um, emergency call operator. I believe it's The Call and she's That's... trying to save Abigail Breslin who's like okay, tied in... T- interesting comparison but unlike those films, Guilty's like... The Guilty's great. Although I've never seen Locke. I haven't, I haven't seen Locke either, but Locke is pretty much just Tom Hardy in a car for 90 minutes who's like, I believe his business is going under, 
and he has to make a whole bunch of phone calls to like you know um colleagues and like friends and family to like you know tell them of the situation yeah. and like what's going to happen. Well, the guilty was like surprisingly really really good, like, yeah, a lot better than I than I imagined. Like the the premise is interesting enough, but like the execution, oh, I, I can't really see them doing it better. Yeah, um, well, we mentioned um, Woman at War and how I mentioned Woman at War and how I think that could easily be remade into an have an English language remake. Mm. This, I think, even more so. Even more so. I mean, it's just it's weird to watch because like you just think about it like like. Oh, it's hard. It's going to be hard to explain because visually it doesn't look like there's much happening. But well, there is. Yeah. Uh, like the way it's but, shot is 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 very good with the with the we the extreme close ups of uh, the protagonist, mm. the caller. And you just you can just see all these weird details like him sweating. You can see him be. You can see him go from being composed and calm to being, you know, really stressed. Yeah. By the way, and, we should probably mention uh, this film does not leave the call center. The entire film takes place inside the call center. So yeah. everything that you're hearing outside is just incredible sound design yeah. which this movie absolutely has the sound design is fantastic I don't know sound mixing sound I, mixing it, a little it, bit it's hard to judge because we watch it in, a, in Hoyts yeah so the, you know, and we were in the third row as well yeah so we, we were quite up close to the screen but also something that bothered me just a little bit but don't, didn't bother me a whole lot is that some of the phone calls were a bit too sounded way too much like yeah, they were a bit, they too a bit too clear they didn't really sound like they were over the phone and look I get it that's probably because they need you need to understand yeah. them but I guess I guess for us English language speaking audiences we had subtitles so maybe if you were a Danish and you saw this you wouldn't have that problem mm. yeah that, that yeah that's an, that's an interesting thing to consider like a like a I know that they probably don't sound as like shit as phone calls would sound, mm. um, especially as I don't think it was set in. I think it's day. it seemed a little dated with the technology. Yeah, some of the tech doesn't he have, doesn't the one character have a flip phone? Yeah, he has My a flip phone. Th- oh, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, like uh, although I, I could see the filmmakers just making the sound better so people can hear the dialogue, yeah. and it's not just just rough static mm, but this movie just shows that you really don't need a like you don't need a whole lot of resources to make a truly great film you just need to be creative with it and just yeah. you know just have one really really strong performance a lot of really great sound design and really in cap like captivating script mm. and a very very economical runtime of i believe it's either 81 minutes or 75 minutes or well, does yeah. not waste a single moment it's a, i think it's 90 minutes it's or, or it's not, eighty. 80 I, I believe it's eighty minutes. Or I, I I believe the festival guide said it's seventy five, but That's I believe long. it's a bit longer than that. Yeah, but yeah, it's. But, I mean, the pacing's great. Like, yeah, it doesn't like it. It moves the th- things like relatively quickly. It's it's very minimalistic. It's very it's a very efficient film. Uh, a I, lot I, of great I, plot turns and like twists oh, yeah. and all this kinds of stuff. And then there's a moment at toward at like right towards the credits where you're like, oh, so that's why it's called the guilty. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a very interesting twist that happens later on in, in I guess, the third act, which... Mm, we're, we're not going to reveal, because I want people to see this film. And I be believe... To be honest, I didn't actually really expect that turn. No, neither. I, about it, neither. Like, I, could, I could see it being... The hints shattered. are there. The hints yeah. are there. So it's very interesting, yeah. Yeah, this, this very is... Very strong film. This is one of my favourites of the festival. It's in my mm, top five for the festival. Definitely one of the strongest of the festival. Yep. A, 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 an English-language remake is imminent. Mm-hmm. I doubt it would be as good as, as the Absolutely original. not. So, yeah, please check this out. I believe it's not getting a release in Australia until January next year. Mm. So, yeah, we were really lucky to get a chance to see this early. And I'm not sure when it's going to be coming out in other regions, but, yeah, definitely keep an eye on it for it, an eye out for it. The Guilty, it's great.
What do we got next, Derek? We have American Animals. Oh. This is another film that took, like, like First Reform, has taken its sweet-ass time to get here, and I've heard amazing things about this. And it, it's interesting because I, I really wanted to like this movie. There's been a lot of buzz. Kind of let down by it, in all honesty. Mm. I had I was aware of what this film was going for, like its approach, because it's directed by a guy named Bart Layton, who is mainly a documentarian, and he's made a documentary that I really want to check out, which I've heard is just amazing. It's called The Imposter. Have you heard of it? I've heard of The Imposter. Um, That's the one. I can't remember what it's about. It's it's it about has... it's about like this these parents, their child is like goes missing, and like four years later, this like this French guy in his 20s comes over to their house and says, hey, I'm your son. And they just kind of have to accept that. And like, he's like, no, no, really, I'm your son. And it's just, they have to kind of deal with, I'm not exactly sure, but I believe it's something along those lines. And I've heard it is just like Three Identical Strangers. It's one of those, it's something out of science fiction. It just seems so bizarre, but it's just absolutely fascinating. Mm. But American Animals is, yeah, his first feature, narrative feature, because what's interesting about this film is that it's about, this real life event, I believe it takes place in 2004. It's about a bunch of college kids who they're, you know, obsessed with like movies and, you know, they love Ocean's Eleven and all these heist films and mm. they're just bored with their day to day lives and they just, they're bored with their life. They need some excitement. So it's like, hey, it, it, one, at my college, we have like the most expensive book ever to have ever existed. Hey, why don't we steal that? So they come up with this heist to steal it. But now here's the kicker and what makes this movie interesting where it could, where I think with a lot of people this aspect makes or breaks the movie for them. About 80% of this about 80 or 75% of this film is a narrative retelling of this story, like a very conventional narrative retelling, but about 20 I would say about 25% of this film is documentary interviews with the real life people that did it kind of reflecting on their decisions. Mm. Which doesn't I admire I admire what they did points for mm. trying, but it really doesn't work. It kind of sounds stupid, I think. Well, here's the reason why. And look, you've got really good actors in here. Like the two leads are Evan Peters and Barry Keoghan. Mm. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know that I fucking love yeah, Barry Keoghan. He was amazing in Killing of a Sacred Deer, and he's really good in this movie too. The problem is the real life people retelling the, their their own story are by far and away so much more interesting <laughs> than the narrative like like the narrative versions of them which is a big problem because they're not in the movie as much and it's I'm just thinking it's like I would have rathered one or the other I'd prefer the documentary but now you've got this weird kind of hybrid style and it just doesn't really work mm. well it seems like a very cheap way like to tack on like a documentary aspect on a on a fictional film where it's like I could see how it's like oh well in the fiction, in the fictional aspect of it, we're going to depict the the characters having fun with this, and then we have like it just seems like very preachy with a sense of like well, the, when they're the real life people reflecting on on their actions, th- they're like, yeah, kids, don't do bank heists; it's fucking dumb. Yeah, like, well, something like that. It's just, it's weird because sometimes it does work where it was like they'll they'll do something. It, it's not like this, but there's like a scene where it's like, oh yeah, this is a great idea, and we'll cut to one of them. And it's like, yeah, it wasn't. Like they'll use it for comedic effect sometimes, and mm. sometimes that does work. But when it's trying to like be serious and stuff, that mm. kind of where it falls flat. And that's where I was like, I would have rather have much seen a documentary. Like I applaud mm. them for trying, and it. I do think this kind of storytelling could possibly work. Oh, it's it worked just... in the past. Oh, okay. Has oh, it? Well, there's a there's a 
I've told, I think I've told you about this, the Thin Blue Line. Oh, like oh, the, I think okay, it was the yeah, first yeah. film that ever did something like this, the hybrid of documentary and, and fiction. Well, a lot of people have really loved it, and I can see why they would, because the, the narrative part is actually pretty entertaining, though. Like, the actual heist itself is pretty is a pretty fun sequence. It's just that it, the whole movie as a whole didn't quite work for so me. So you think it fundamentally doesn't work? Yeah, it, it, an interesting experiment that didn't quite work. Mm. I, I think I, I'd like to see... I would like to see the director just, you know, continue on with this type of filmmaking and maybe one day strike the perfect formula. Mm. Yeah, I, I wanted to like it a lot more than I did. I was just a little bit let down by it. But it's still... Uh, I would still rec- I would recommend people see it and make up their own mind, though. It comes out... Like, it's already out on the digital. I found out it's already out on digital in the States. So if you're in the States, you've probably already seen this. But It's, it's- interesting because I, I had a friend that really enjoyed American Animals. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, I, well, that, well, there you go. Yeah. Well, uh, the, the the consensus on this film is overall pretty positive. I just felt like this style just didn't exactly work. But yes, if you're interested in seeing it, uh, its Australian release is on October 4th. To be honest, I think I'll probably more likely agree with you if I ever watch it. Oh, okay. But the next film I saw um, is a documentary called The Bill Murray Stories, Life Lessons Learned from a Mythical Man. Now this, I mean... I saw this. I saw this based on the title alone, and the the promotional. Is it because Bill Murray? Uh, you, you bet your ass it is. <laughs> so this this documentary is about a filmmaker who essentially is just heard all of these crazy like urban legends or stories about Bill Murray, like these crazy stories of him like rocking up to a construction site and reading poetry to construction yeah. workers, or like him at a house party in London doing someone's dishes, or like photobombing people's wedding pictures, like all of these crazy <laughs> stories. So this guy goes around and like tries to pretty much uncover what like like this re- weird like mysterious kind of mm. spontaneous man like what is he like what what does he do why does he do this and like all of these people's different stories and their of their encounters with Bill Murray and the documentary itself it's only 70 minutes long and in its presentation kind of feels more like a t- television special than it does an actual documentary yeah. film but man it's just delightful to watch it is so it's just I mean, Bill Murray's character, like, you just see it from all these clips and, like, and all these different stories. It's like, how? What, why does he do this? Like, nice. getting into, like, what, what it is about this, like, this person and, like, why Bill Murray does this. Yeah, I, I mean, I've heard some strange Bill Murray stories. Like, uh, he was driving, he, he went into a taxi and uh, he's talking to a taxi driver and, he's, and the taxi driver mentioned that he was learning the saxophone and Bill Murray was driving a taxi. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, 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 that's it. Yeah, the, ta- the saxophone. That's in the movie, yeah. Practicing yep. it. Yeah, um, so he says, well, you, you play it, I'll drive for yeah. you. Yep, they, they tell that one in the story, yep, yeah, yeah. In, in the documentary. So, yeah, he's, an, he's, a, he's he seems to be a very interesting person. I can, and, and it's funny seeing, uh, what was it, it reminds me of it's like coffee and cigarettes where Bill Murray plays a character, but like he's playing like a, yep. a cook or something. Yeah, they, that's they, like, they that's show like that. Bill Murray being Bill Murray. <laughs> they show that scene from that film in this as well. <laughs> like, yeah, as I said, because it's not a very, it's not a, a very cinematic documentary, it feels kind of more like a, yeah, like a, t- a TV special or like where I think this movie would do really well is on Netflix. This movie could absolutely dominate on Netflix and I think that would be where this would so you belong. So the presentation's a little weak. Yeah, it, it's it shouldn't be a, a it's not a, myth a film, not really no, like not 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 that it shouldn't be playing at myth. It's just not a very cinematic. Oh, do- it's just not a very cinematic documentary. But if this was on something like Netflix, it would just be really really good. 
And it kind of feels like something that Netflix would do or something Netflix would pick up. So, yeah, mm. it's a fun watch. Definitely, yeah, it's definitely a, a streaming watch. It's just a lot of fun just to see and hear all of these crazy stories about this mythical man that is Bill yeah. Murray. Let's see, what do we have next in the menu? What do we have next? Well, let's get into oh, the yeah. big one that you saw. The four-hour, not Korean, the Filipino black and white four-by-three rock opera that is Season of the Devil. Oh, okay. I, I, I'm jumping around. I've, I've had a couple yeah. in a row. Oh, wait. Oh, oh, oh wait. No, we missed one. No, sorry. Yeah. We'll skip Season of the Devil for now. Um, well, no, we won't skip it. We'll get back to it. You, We mentioned the Cage-a-thon earlier. Well, I can talk about Season of the Devil quickly now that you brought it up. All right. Oh, okay. We'll go Season of the Devil quickly. So, Season of the Devil... Uh, Filipino rock opera um, uh, is, is how it's most described. It's in black fitting, and white. In black and white, fitting description. Four hours all the long. Lav Diaz films are in black and white anyway. They're all excru- excruciatingly long. Uh, well, I, I say I use the word excruciatingly because he does have films that run over like ten hours. Holy shit! <laughs> what? <laughs> no, this guy's like break. He's broken in parts. No, like the whole film. Like he's he's broken records for making the longest, some of the longest narrative films ever oh made. Oh my god! <laughs> So, so if you can, if you were to compare the season of the devil to some Dude, of the, some of the films he made in the past, it's short. Would <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a short film for Love Diaz? This is a short it? film for Love Diaz. Um, just one quick quick question: if you if they were to play these like ten or eleven hour films at festivals, would they have intervals or would they just play them all the way through? I don't have a fucking clue how they would do it. <laughs> to, be, to be honest, I don't I don't know if they have ever ever played a film that like a Love Diaz film that that's been that long. Uh, at a festival, is is he is he begging people not to watch his movies by making them? Oh this no, time, no, no! He's just he's just got his own weird brand of cinema where he likes to make these really long films where he just takes. He has a film that sort of has a very slow, strange rhythmic uh, pace to it, but he also really likes to sort of spend a lot of time to explore his subject to the point where he, sometimes he repeats himself, and I find that to be a bit of a problem. At least my I and my friend who saw, uh, I and my friends actually that saw Season of the Devil because I went with like three others, uh, sort of th- think that the film was, we, we all thought it was good. I think it's, out of all of us, uh, I and someone else thought it was like really good. Although we, we do admit that it, it, it is a bit repetitive in, in, in instances. There are, there are parts where it seems like whole conversations, when I say conversations, all sung, where the... Uh, so it's like Les Mis in the way that it's like all sung. Well, it's an opera. It's, all it's an opera in the truest form where it is. It is all sung. Um, all the lines of dialogue, I'm very certain, Jeez. are all sung. Besides, um, the the weird congressman dick, uh, figure who I think is supposed to represent um, Duterte. Rod- Rodrigo Duterte. Yeah. yeah. Uh, he, well, he doesn't sing his dialogue. He 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 speaks it um, in in speech form. Although. I swear that um, the dialogue that they probably that like his dialogue might actually be recordings from Duterte speaking and itself. <laughs> is that character um, the one that I've seen on the yeah. poster where it has like he the has professor head. the professor Quirrell Voldemort esque yeah. style head at he's, the back of his head? He's got a face, like face on the back, back of his head. head. Yeah, it's very strange. You see him appear a couple of times. Um, yeah, Season of the Devil is a, is a is a very unique film in that I've never seen anything like it. I, I haven't seen many musicals, but I've never seen something like an anti-musical where it's like there's no backing track to the songs. Um, there's no there's songs, no real choreography or any real movement to the. Oh yeah, there is. Is there? Okay, there, there is some. Well, it's it's weird because it's like he's he's implementing a musical into sort of like a drama. 
feel. Oh, okay. It's hard to explain, but like there, there is sort of performance aspects to it. I had a friend sort of spotted that, but he, he sort of wished that the, 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 the camera was further back. So you, you can see, so that you could, there's more space in the frame for the characters to move around, but I sort of liked how it was boxed in because it, because it really made everything feel more uh, restrictive and like hopeless for some of these characters that were surrounded by these intimidating militia um, soldiers and uh, them just being uh, sort of harassed or just being grossly outnumbered, uh, looking really inferior against this big herd of people. All right, um, quick question. Do you think this is the kind... You know the, what, what, what kind of films I like. Do you think this is the kind of film I would kind of dig? Oh. Because I almost I almost yeah. saw this movie, but I had university assignments to work yeah. on, so I decided to cancel. But to be honest... To, yep. me, to me, this movie felt like it was either going to be amazing or unwatchable to me. To be so, honest, you'd probably not like it. You'd probably be similar to what, you know, Cohen... I don't know if you could handle, like, a four-hour music... Like, a four-hour anti-musical where it's, like... It's a musical that's presented in a way where it's it's not joyous. It's, like, the complete opposite. Like it's really depression depressing. porn? It's the real, not depression porn, but it's really depressing and bleak because of the subject uh. matter. It's these people that are, that are living under the, the rule of this oppressive dictator and they've they've all suffered losses one way and the other from the... the uh, Violent militia. Okay. Quick question before we move on to the Cageathon and Mandy. How many walkouts were there? Oh, I, I wasn't counting, but there were a few walkouts, Ooh. which is weird because uh, I remember you had friends that uh, were bashing on bringing it back up again. Uh, an elephant sitting still. No one walked out on an elephant sitting still. Wow. It's a full house. It's crazy. Jeez. But uh, but yeah, season of the devil. Not not to my surprise, super niche. The the cinema was probably three quarters full, and there were definitely c- quite a few walkouts. Mm, and it was in the Kino, which is the smallest venue of yeah. the uh, of the festival. Too, yeah. So. I think it seems like the Kino is the only venue that's holding uh, such films because I watched both four hour films. I, I believe an elephant Kino. sitting still had a handful of. Like, I think it only I think, had two sessions. No, it had an Acme. One, the other one was an oh, Acme. Okay. That's right. So it was a slight, slightly bigger than the Kino. All right, um, next film we are going to talk about, or the next bunch of films, mm. uh, quickly go through the Cageathon, which you saw. We'll do Mandy, even though Mandy was the first film, we'll talk about that last. But yeah. so, what films played at the Cageathon? So Mandy was first. Well, it opened with Mandy. After Mandy, there was Raising Arizona. Nice. Which is, uh, which is, which is Col- Coen f- Brothers? Yes. Yeah, Coen yeah. Brothers. Early Coen Brothers. A great film. Um, uh, I, I I don't know. If, People uh, see this in the same light, but I think it's a bit of an underrated work when you're looking hmm. at the Coen Brothers filmography. I actually haven't seen I mean, too many a, Coen Brothers films. I need to get more. Oh, well, more it's, it's, it's not uh, one of the serious ones. Yeah. One of the more, well, uh, I, haven't, I, haven't seen, I, I haven't seen any of their early... I think the earliest I've seen from them would be Fargo. So I need to get yeah, back well, look, look at I their th- older stuff. I think it's, it's before Fargo, yeah. Yeah, definitely before Fargo. So Raising Arizona is great. Um Oh, the whole atmosphere of the Cageathon was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Like, I can imagine it would oh, be. I mean, it was hilarious. Like, you know, everyone uh, everyone was, you know, buying drinks and stuff. A- know, any, a- any, Australians. A- any Nick Cage cosplay? No, but we're all giving Nick Cage masks. There might have been <laughs> cosplay, although I didn't see it. There, there wasn't a no, lot no of one dr- No one dressed as Cameron Poe from Con Air? Nah. Unfortunately. No, I, no I didn't with, see anyone like that, though. No, no one carrying around toy bunnies or no, stuffed no. rabbits? But there was and a little bit of cage play, but there weren't really any great cage play. But oh, the audience is fantastic because it's like every time, like at the beginning of the film, 
Nicholas Cage will come up on the screen and be introduced. Be like, everyone would start clapping, be like, woo, Nick Cage. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious. The atmosphere so, was great. So then the next one um, was Red Rock West, yeah, which Red is a film West. I haven't heard of. And I believe Red, Dennis Hopper's in it. Dennis Hopper's in Red, Red Rock West is really weird because the set it was like oh, really strong. I was like, holy shit, this, this could actually be like a genuinely like fantastic film. But then it sort of just starts to go downhill as the film progresses more so and then uh, get a bit disappointed. So, uh, just, just, I should have mentioned this earlier, the the jump from Mandy all the way back to, uh, you know, his more kind of light, light-hearted, like kind of comedy film like yeah. Raising Arizona, was there any kind of like tonal whiplash that you got going from that film to the other one? No, because no? I, I thought okay. Mandy was very... In- when we get to Aunt Mandy, I'm just going to say right now, most entertaining film of the film festival was fucking hilarious. Um... Raising Arizona was also hilarious. Um, I found so I thought it was uh, it was good that they played them against each other. And uh, weirdly enough, um, Raising Arizona or half the films it was just Nick Cage playing it like a criminal. Wish there would have been a bit more variety in the roles. Mm. Um, well, why didn't Col- they play Face Off then? They should have played Face Off. That would have been awesome. I guess maybe because it's like two hours and twenty minutes. Con and I wanted us to wanted one of them to play some person shouted, "Oh, play adaptation!" And uh, I think. Uh, Someone said, "Sit down, sit down." Now, the person in the audience, uh, the person that was running the the whole show, said, "Oh, we'll probably play it next year." So hopefully they'll do Wait, it the again. Cageathon two. Yeah, Cageathon two. Because um, I do a lot of marathons at the Asta. Yeah. Because um, that they, last year they it was the first marathon they did last year. They had like an overnight like classic sci fi marathon oh, last year. Awesome. And I think it. I think one of the things that they yeah. had there was um. Like they had a retro screening, I think a thirty-five millimeter or a seventy millimeter, maybe even of uh, Fantastic Planet. Oh wow! I think they're doing um a Halloween, like the film series retrospect on Halloween. Yeah, and uh, aren't they doing like a huge marathon? Like starting, uh, are they doing a huge marathon, or are they just doing yeah, like a sorry, week by week? Sorry, sorry, not retrospect marathon of Halloween. So they're playing all the films, and I think they might end with the uh, remake that that's coming out this year, or like the reboot that's coming out. I don't out know this if year. they're going to be playing the new ones. Oh okay. Will they be playing the Rob Zombie ones, do you think? I don't think so. Yeah, probably not. Um, so going going back to the Cageathon, uh, Red Red Rock West is a very weird film because it, it like it had a very good setup. It could have been a fantastic like uh, like small scale crime film, um, crime drama. Although it's just just goes very strange uh, near the end, and like characters start behaving stupidly. You know, so, so it's like the, sometimes the characters are written so they they just they just do stupid things. There's an obvious like femme fatale character, which is very annoying. Um, uh, I mean, not her character wasn't annoying, but it's just how obvious like she was playing the femme fatale part was, uh, you know, just just as blunt as as you'd put it, being hit in the head with a baseball bat. Yeah, with the um, word metaphor. Yeah, on it. the word. Yeah. Anyway, like um, like the gun in Baz Luhrmann's uh, Romeo and Juliet that says <laughs> dagger. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, so be, so eventually becomes really comedic to watch and entertaining. And Tennis Hopper is so weird because he's supposed to be a Texan, and and like uh, at the start I'm he's from Texas man. Yeah. <laughs> at the start he's he's these Texan accents a bit weird, but it gets better. But his character's just weird. It's just, just this this cowboy uh, hitman. So it's, yeah, it's a very he gets very cartoonish uh, later on. Okay. Uh, after after Red Rock and, West, and how, how much time is in between? How, how many? How much time interval? Are oh, there between sometimes, films? Sometimes it's only a couple of minutes because like, they might play the. the it's the like quick, straight go, go to the bathroom. And every we're now and then there's like a ten minute um, intermission. Quick, go to the bathroom now because we're playing Vampire's Kiss. I'm was not, that next or was it Vampire's Kiss? Yes, it was after. Now, 
that sounds like watching it with a crowd of Nick Cage diehards. Oh, that would have been the incredible. best. <laughs> oh, it was the best. No, it wasn't even just like with Nick Cage die. I think there were some people who saw it for the first time. Like oh. I, I never actually saw it. It was me watching for the first time. So I was amazed. At, like I'm like, no wonder this film's a meme. Like Nick Cage what? is fucking off the rails. Like Colin was left. We got to watch this like this vintage archive. Like I think it's the only. Type yeah, of copy, thirty-five millimeter. Oh yeah, one of the only from like what, one, one of the few that's I think in it was existence. The last oh really? Thirty-five millimeter copy. So now, they had to be very careful with it. What uh, this Vampire's Kiss seems like the type of movie that should have the room kind of audience, like those kinds oh, yeah. of screenings. It was the fucking best film that played there. Like it was, it was with the sh- like the shitty quality thirty-five millimeter cut. Oh, it's awesome! Like. All grainy, all yeah, grainy. it was super oh, grainy, and it was discoloured yes. as well. Oh, oh it's fantastic! And the audience, there were some people, as I said, that probably watched for the first time. They're like, "What the fuck is going on?" <laughs> like something so bizarre would happen. Oh, there's so many hilarious moments. Like, like, I mean, just the the, the weird things that you see in the the meme captions. That's just the, that's just like hit the the tip of the iceberg. Like, mm-hmm. it's like. I never oh, missed that anything. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's this oh, there's such hilarious moments. It's like there's there's a part where uh, Nick Cage is he's taking his girlfriend out to an art gallery, and she says, "What do you think of this painting?" And then he says, "I go to take a piss." It's like really weird because he's like he talks like this English man, but he's in fucking America, and like that line's so out of character because like what like a British dude won't just say, "Oh, I'm gonna go." Like this fancy British dude won't say, "Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take a piss." So colloquial. Anyway, oh, so he says, "I gotta take a piss," and he just has a runner on it. <laughs> oh my and goodness! There's so many great parts. Like, there's a part where, like, Nick, half the film is Nicholas Cage terrorizing this poor like secretary, mm. and like he t- chases her down to a basement. Is, is and, that and, is that the one who he screams the alphabet at? Yeah. Oh, oh no, that, that, that's that's not. Uh, no, that's his psychiatrist. Oh, that's right. Oh that's fuck, right. the ending is just incredible. You, 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 would, you would hate it. <laughs> Oh, that's that, a little earlier. That, oh, that's not him. No, oh. he has this like he has this really weird dream where he's like, uh, well, like he thinks he's talking to his psychiatrist, yeah. but he's actually just out in the street talking to himself, and he's like yeah. dazed. See, I'm like one the, of I'm one the, of the few people that know this movie just from the memes. I actually have not seen it. Now the, I really, the, really the, want the, to. The thing about the vampire, well, I won't explain that, but um, but it's funny like that 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 uh, he's what happens like near the end with this like psychiatrist like he's just he thinks that he's talking to her because he arranged a meeting but he's just out in the street he's just hallucinating uh, he's, just, <laughs> he's Nicolas Cage off his head and it's funny because he's just like ah I should get a girlfriend and, and then oh no it's and so weird. this and just to give a bit of context this is roughly you're watching this at roughly about 2am on a Saturday morning with a possibly later three quarters it might have been like 3am with three something. quarters of the audience being absolutely pissed sloshed yeah being absolutely <laughs> pissed like like oh god oh, it's just it's hilarious like people are just like oh my god like uh, just, they're just like laughing at just all this weird shit that's happening, just, uh, just because I can't believe like what they're seeing on the screen because of how stupid mm. it is. But then you go from the craziness of that to the um even more craziness yeah. of oh, the Wicker Man the Wicker remake. Is nowhere near as funny as Vampire's Kiss. It's mostly I've boring it though, isn't it? It's fucking boring. Like I I couldn't even remember the Wicker Man besides the two bits that people keep referencing. The the bear the bear punching, yeah, and not like, the bees. The bear punching, not the bees, and um fucking. Nicholas Cage confiscating a bike, like stupid yeah. shit like that. How does it get burned? Yeah, how did it burn? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Colorado just that was like the most disappointing film that we saw because because uh, yeah, see, as I said, I could only I could I could only remember um those uh, quoted parts in Wicked Man. Watch the film, I'm like oh fuck, it's boring as. It's like it's not even uh, worth wasting your time is, watching it for the funny bits. Isn't isn't James Franco in the end for like two seconds yeah, for is. no reason? He is. 
Well, it's not well. Well, he's casting for no reason, but the reason why he's there is because he's just going to be sent to the bloody bee colony. Uh, oh, bloody weird the, film. The the dumbest use, of, the dumbest and wa- most wasteful use of James Franco since his two seconds in Alien Covenant. Mm. I forgot to tell you the funniest thing about one of the funniest things of uh, Vampire's Kiss. As I as you, you interrupt me, I was ta- telling you the story. Sorry about that. Um, in the basement. No, that's fine. Um, so. He chases this secretary to the basement and she says, oh, are you going to rape me? She's got a gun, but it's filled with blanks. And uh, I won't tell... Actually, what happens after this is actually even funny, but I'll leave that for you to watch in the film. Anyway, like, she says, oh, are you going to rape me? Then Nicholas Cage with his weird meme face, like, "Eh, maybe I will rape you. I'm going to rape you. God. He just says that. Oh, my God. He just starts waggling his tongue. Oh, God, it's hysterical. He's just like, maybe I will rape you. Oh my goodness! It was, that movie is cooked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will say when Eric saw Mandy, like as soon as Eric um, saw Mandy, must have been between right before, must be in that space between seeing Mandy and between Raising Arizona. I just get a message from Eric saying Mandy is fucking cooked. Yeah, it was cooked. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so after the Wicker Man remake, which is boring with a couple of great bits, yeah. uh, Drive Angry was next. Yeah, then it was Drive Angry. And that's the last film you stayed for, wasn't it? Yeah, that's the last it? film we stayed for because we couldn't be bothered watching Con Air because Colin and I saw it like way too many times. And it was like 7am in the morning when you well, left. Well, it wasn't the time. It was just that we didn't want to sit through two hours of bloody a film that we've seen a bunch of times already. And the it's sun, not even that funny. And the sun was coming up outside. So you're like, the you know what? The sun was already up when we got outside. Oh, really? Yeah. No, <laughs> no, no, shit. No, no, like it actually went overtime. Oh, really? Oh, oh God. There was this really What time sh- did it finish? Like 11am? Must have. We got it around 9 Oh shit! Um, oh, but uh, yeah, but progressively people started like you know walking it, the, out. The, the crowd was, got yeah, thinner and thinner yeah, as thinner the night wore thinner. on. Oh, how, how many people do you think just went there to see Mandy? Majority of them, because a bunch of them just left after Mandy. It was really stupid. Well, um, I would think that Mandy would be the carrot at the end of the stick. Like it would be the movie no, you put last no. to make sure that people stayed yeah, for the I entire time. That, but, like, and if, to... if they if they if they did do it like that, they would have way less. Tickets. Yeah, true. Any, um, I wouldn't have minded if they did it like that anyway, because I would have been cooked enough for Mandy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, Drive Angry. Oh, just this, just you know, really cheap, over the top action exploitation pulpy film, which I believe was originally released in 3D. Yeah, because it was, it was in it, 2011, and yeah, any, yeah, it was 2011, and that was the law. If it, in between the years of 2009 and 2013, if you had a big budget Hollywood release, you had you to put it tell, in 3D. You can tell, well, it's not big budget or Hollywood, but you can tell it was. Well, it was, it was Warner 3D. Brothers. It was Warner Brothers, so yeah. it was a studio film. You can tell it was 3D just just because it just you know, shit flying up in the air and you'd be like, if I had the glasses, it would come through the oh, screen. Oh, right. Oh, it was just, it, Drive Angry was hilarious to watch. Really, really stupid over the top film. So it was good fun. And um, I can't remember who the, the name of the actor, but there's a guy that plays like a, like a, like an angel that's sent to retrieve uh, Nicholas Cage. Oh, God, his oh, yeah, he's hilarious. like a demon or something, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's like, he's a weird demon angel. I don't know. <laughs> oh um, but he's just, oh, he's bonkers because there's, there's like, there's a part where like, to save Nicholas Cage, he like, he drives a truck for a police barricade and he jumps jumps on top of the hood and he just like stares at the cops and then like you just see the truck just crash into like four cop cars and just fucking explodes. Oh. It's like oh it's hilarious. Is he is he playing Ghost Rider and Drive Angry? Because it sounds yeah, like yeah, he might he as well practically, be. Well practically he is play, playing Ghost Rider. He's like Spe- this demonic man driving a Speaking of which, I mean, even though they're both boring as shit, next year if they're gonna do another Cage Thon, surely knowing and the first Ghost Rider should be in there because both of them 
Shot oh, in no, Melbourne. Second Shot ghost. in Melbourne. Oh, oh second yes. Ghost Rider's yes. way better. Neville, Neville Dean Taylor. I mean, that movie's terrible, but mm. because of the ne- the craziness of Neville Dean Taylor, and that has the amazing scraping at the door <laughs> moment. I mean, oh, I mean, I just all I can remember is Nicolas Cage jumping into a a crane and turning it into a yeah, giant flaming into chainsaw. A monster, yeah, to a giant flaming chainsaw. Yeah, what, what the fuck? <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that's it's made by those two methods that did crank. So what were you expecting? Oh, fucking. No wonder it's so good. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, what they should play next year, bloody leaving Las Vegas, just to make everyone depressed. Play that right at the end. Oh. Uh, so what, what will we do? Is it, it, uh, Let's assume that there's six spots, but let's assume that Nick Cage has another crazy movie coming out next yeah. year and they're going to play that. So we'll do Con Air, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Uh, leaving Las Vegas. Leaving Las Vegas. Uh, what else? Well, the, we can, we can a- adaptation a- for a weird change of pace. Yeah, yeah, sure. Throw adaptation. Wild Was, at Heart. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. You no, know we should. You know what? Two spots: Wild at Heart and Dog Eat Dog. Because both. <laughs> yeah. Dog Eat Dog's bon- a Schrader film, isn't it's it? It's a Schrader film. They're <laughs> fucking bonkers. Like I don't even think they're is, very. Is, I don't think they're very good films. Both. Is of them. Dog Eat Dog but the one with Elijah Wood, or am I thinking no, of another no, one? No, you're thinking of the Dying uh, of the Light. Dying of the Light, which that's is like right. terrible, which they should play because how shit it is. But um, uh, no, no, play play Dog Eat Dog because Dog Eat Dog and Wallet Heart. Oh, it's Willem Dafoe, isn't Willem it? Defoe that's right. And, yeah, and just Willem Dafoe and 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 Nicholas Cage the weirdest chemistry. Two two of the the best weirdest? movie the two yeah. of the best movie creeps of all time. Yeah, two Nicholas of the best Cage. movie creeps just <laughs> playing Willem alongside Defoe. each other. Oh, just to play those films back to back. Oh, perfect. <laughs> All right, so let's get into Mandy as well, because I got to see this not at the Cageathon, but I had, unfortunately, look, I, I'll get into my gripes about the audience I was in, but what did you think of it? You you were in the right atmosphere for this. I yeah. mean, you, you were seeing Mandy. Well, yeah, what I mean, I was think? in the right atmosphere. I've, You're in the right mood to watch it with this kind right of audience. Mood. Well, but you said, well, earlier you said that the, the audience that you went to watch the film with it. We were a bunch of weird hipsters. We didn't have weird hipsters. Well, here's the thing. It was a bunch of br- like I'm just I'm not not saying that they were just hipsters, but it's like a generalization. It was a bunch of bu- bunch of fucking Brunswick hipsters that have the worst Twitter account you've ever seen that only went to see this film because it starred that guy from that meme that's funny. Mm. And laughing every single fucking time Nick Cage opened his mouth even when he's not saying anything funny yeah, it see, was unfucking my, 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 my crowd wasn't like that that would have been fine at the Cageathon but here it was un like I and I went I went to Twitter and like see my frustrations. So I was like, I surely I can't be the only one. And luckily, right before I was about to do it, some guy tweeted that and I was like, Thank you, sir. You have expressed my grievances with this fucking shithead crowd that was here tonight. Yeah, well our our crowd our crowd was good because uh pe- people only really laugh at the moments that were pretty wacky. Yeah, like they I were, no they were pretty laughy at the start. Um, I, I have no I have no problem with wooing when Nicolas Cage's name comes on screen. Fair enough. I have no I have no yeah. problem with cheering at one of the gruesome kills that happens. Fair enough. But mm. laughing at like this scene where Andrea Riceboro and Nicolas Cage's character are talking about what music they like when nothing funny is being oh, said. And just no. because it's Nick Cage and yeah. like, oh, it's the you don't say guy. <sighs> nah, nah, well, Fuck, people, that, people, that chuck, people chuckling when that happened, but I don't think they were laughing at just Nicolas Cage talking because they're also laughing at like the woman talking because it's just because of the, the characters, like they're, they're like... They they sort of these oh they like really they like zany rockers from the seventies like progressive rock yeah, the movie set in the eighties like, too they they talk in like weird um they talk in like weird like rock 
fantasy terms, like real progressive rock terms. Mm. I, I mean, it I open with King Crimson, so it's like, oh, it's a, it's a, and like the as as yeah, I'm like the least metal person ever, so I've got like I mean, oh, I mean it's not metal, it's progressive. Rock. I mean, th- this movie is like if the, the look of this movie anyway is like if the um the album the album artwork from uh, Meatloaf's Bad Out of Hell came to life. Yeah, that's a, that's a that, that's an interesting yeah um, way to describe it. Anyway, uh, well, what I what I love of, it, of the aesthetic of the film is it's it's very metal, like metally in the in the terms of it's sort of like a it's like progressive fantasy metal, but also like grimy, grim Germanic metal, where like um the the fantasy aspect's kind of like Nordic. It's it's, mm. it's very weird. I um. I had a couple of problems with this film, though. Like, I yeah, think you didn't enjoy it's, it. it. It's first of all, this is a ninety-minute movie stretched out to two hours. It's two. It's actually it's two hours. It's incredibly self. Yeah, it's a ninety-minute movie stretched out to two oh, hours. Yeah. It's incredibly self-indulgent. Oh, it's very self-indulgent. There, there is, there's really, I mean, there's I, really no characters in this film, and there doesn't no. really need to be. But I wanted a little bit more development, a little bit more reason to care that for this Andrea Riceboro character, like why, why? I think the films like that are stronger without that aspect. I think it's, it's a bit. I, I think they're trying too hard when they do something like that. Like, really, you're there to watch the gore and the crazy shit. Yeah, Although, I know, but like, I also want to. I also first half is very. It's it's way too long and self indulgent. Um, where it's a bit painful. And I really wish that's just cut out. I think. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just all of that. It, it's yeah, but then in that first hour, like I would be fine with it if they're trying if they're building towards something, which it doesn't really do. It's just like, like I would prefer like a little bit more character development, but instead it's just more of the director I, showing off his fetish for neon for neon <laughs> red lights. Yeah, I guess you can say he's got a bigger f- neon fetish or a bigger eighties. <laughs> Fetish than than winning reffing. Yeah, winning <laughs> reffing. Anyway, um, like I, I think look, this the, it has a very simple setup. I think it works. I just think that they spent way too much time uh, mm. doing it. Honestly, they should honestly, I rather them just completely scrap the setup, just do mm. it really quick. But it, I think what's it, Cosmatos is trying to be sort of honest, the type of film that it's trying to be the weird like seventies uh, exploitation revenge film where like a lot of the time it was fucking long setup and all the crazy shit happened at the end. Um, so I could sort of, I could sort of admire him, sort yeah. of for doing that. I think that well, he was aware in, that, like, in, in like that it was a bit too long what he was doing with the first half because <laughs> we'll both agree that the the, the third act, like, uh, is screen great. card. Oh, the third act's great, but the third act screen card. That's when you see the title of the film. Yeah, you see the title like, of the that's film. That's like Cosmos saying, seventy five minutes. This is where the, the film movie. really begins. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Well, can I just watch this from here? You yeah. could have done. I know. Oh, f- so the first hour of the film could have been done in fifteen minutes. Yeah. That's what so I'm that's just saying. A, that's a painful thing. Like, uh, it's funny that he's sort of done that. It's like a weird joke in a sense but and he's sort of trying staying through this formula but then it's then again it's still annoying because the formula is not very refined yeah there, but i will say the points to this movie there are some really great moments in this that mo- like right after when spoilers i mean you can because look this is a simple revenge story yeah. you, you know you may as well put a timer on um andrea riceborough's character's head as soon as she comes in because you know she is just um Dead meat. She's gone. Yeah. But yeah, as soon as her character is killed off, like, and that scene in the bathroom where Nick Cage is just losing it. Yeah. I mean, even though it probably got the kind of meme-worthy reaction and everyone laughing, but I actually thought like, shit, oh, this, is in- it, this is incredible. I thought it was good acting too. Well, our, people, our people did start laughing, but then they, you know, they didn't. Ours, were, ours was in the- hysterics. Our, our theatre yeah. was in hysterics when that happened. And I'm like, shut the Fuck up, seriously. Well, it's not that funny. I and think Nicholas it starts Cage, off kind of comedy, but then yeah, it gets really it gets, uh, serious. But then when something, the, but then we also had more on the Brunswick hipsters. We had you ever have those um theater comedians 
the ones that make jokes about the movie, those assholes that make jokes about the movie while happening. What, so, what kind of jokes? Well, well, during this scene when Nicolas Cage is just losing his shit, some guy, and I was sitting towards the back up at the comedy theatre, which, by the way, two-hour movie at the comedy theatre, no fucking You know thanks. what you should do, Sean? You should, <laughs> you should grab, like, little balls and fucking ping them at people's oh, heads. Uh, <laughs> you off. Next time I go to MIF, I'm going to bring a bucket of ping-pong balls and yeah, just throw them at people. Grab a Nerf gun, just fire darts at their heads. <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. <laughs> like, what the fuck was that? But back to what I was saying. So, during this scene where Nicolas Cage is losing his shit in the bathroom, not in that sense, if you're wondering, mm. he's... Yeah, screaming and yelling and crying and people are laughing and this guy behind me goes, Oscar winner. And I wanted to turn around and strangle him. (laughs) Making a joke. He's like, oh, he's an Oscar winner and look at this shit performance. Oh. I thought you. I thought it was like sarcastically saying like, "Oh, Oscar yeah. worthy." Oh, but yeah, but that, he's saying that. But worse. as well, he was doing that. But then also saying, "Hey, look, isn't it isn't it funny that this terrible actor has run it has won an Oscar?" <laughs> no, no, what that makes no fucking it's, sense. Oh, it's because he, he. Well, the, the fucking movie, theater the movie that man. he won the Oscar for, which I brought up earlier, fucking leaving Las Vegas, fantastic performance. I mean, that's the thing. I still think uh, Nicolas Cage is a very good actor. It's just that he is. Just, he just knows just, when he knows yeah. what he's what very movie. self-aware. He knows how to act in his films. That's why he's perfect for Mandy. Yeah, and exactly. Another interesting thing is that he's in a fucking fuck ton of films. He's not that yeah. fast. He's not picky with what he does. Well, that's because he needs the money. Yeah, <laughs> I know that he needs the money. That's a, that's the sad thing. There's like yeah. a castle in Romania that he's has in de- that he's indebted to or yeah. something like that. I think yeah. that's the whole reason why he did Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, I believe. Mm. Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but yeah, so uh, people like that just being knobs. They're just, they're, it's they're obno- just it was they're so just, obnoxious. They were, they was, were probably they were probably like the kind of like actor that just so so one note that just plays one character every uh, time. Like oh, fantastic! But yeah, this. But yeah, th- but back to what I was saying. The actual cult in this film, they are points to the film. Even though they're overacting, like this guy Linus Roach, he is over. He is ha- just chewing on scenery, like cotton mm. balls full of scenery in his mouth throughout this whole movie. Mm. But oh my god, that cult is actually really menacing. Yeah, the cults, the cults, men- the cults, very interesting because when when I first looked at them, I'm like, oh, they don't seem very threatening, but they seem yeah, or just- Jesus freaks, as yeah. Nicolas Cage calls them yeah. in one point of the movie. <laughs> they they. The, they, they seem they well some of them some of the characters are very menacing particularly Swan the character Swan's the most menacing who's Swan Swan's the the old guy that grabs the weird whistle to call oh, the bikes. yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> he's like he's like blindly following um uh the 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 weird singer. yeah the Linus Roach yeah, the Linus guy that Roach. thinks Jesus is like his he, the God chose think, him yeah, to be he thinks that he's the next Messiah and he's like a weird failed musician it's it's really <laughs> sad um but yeah he's got a weird he's got a, a very strange cult where everyone acts peculiar and it's they have like weirdly they have some weird comedic characters in there like there's that the guy, guy that's that playing with a window. Uh, which, oh my god, how he died! It's is, hilarious. Is that the guy? Is that the guy that's always washing the car or like waxing the car? Yeah. By the way, this this movie has some amazing kills and oh. some incredible action that, in all honesty, really saved this movie for oh, me. Oh yeah, the action's quite. I wish there was more though. I don't what? know. I kind of wish it was Look. more gory, but I love the setup around. Like, it's so funny how just how they engage in action. Like, mm. like, like there's. First, Nicholas Cage is, you know, fighting these very strange bikers. He fires a fucking arrow in one of their heads, and like the guy yeah. just doesn't do anything. He's just standing there, and he, and he, he starts pulling it out. He pulls it out of his face, 
It's nuts. It's nuts. Mm. Uh, I think um, the, be- I, the best. I, I really want to talk about that aspect and mm. we, we really can't. Radio though. tale, but I think it's better if you see it yourself. But I will just say one of the best. Like, even though I was in a pretty terrible audience, like I kind of got sucked in in one moment because there is a moment in this film where Nicolas Cage grabs a chainsaw and goes up to the guy about yeah. to fight it with a chainsaw and this guy pulls out a bigger, yeah. longer chainsaw yeah. and I literally in the audience yelled, fuck yes! Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, oh, it's perfect how that happened because it's... it's it's because I saw the because it's annoying because I saw the trail and I saw the giant chainsaw. Oh, but I love how they I, I love how the directors show that it's like it's it's, it's very funny, weird, comedic, um, like uh, sort of um, oh I don't know like weird slapsticky, um, mm. in a sense because like just this guy sitting on a, on a pile of logs, he sees Nicolas Cage trying to start up his chainsaw. Yeah, he jumps off the log and he like grabs the end of a chainsaw and drags out a huge chainsaw behind the stack of logs. <laughs> It's uh, so cu- it's so fun. It's That's so why this film is like. I think it's very self-aware because it has these weird comedic. Yeah, moments this is the it. definition. But it of like a, plays it straight. This is the it's definition so of a midnight movie. Yeah, this is the definition of a midnight movie. Um, uh, a bit, a bit, a bit self-indulgent. Like, a bit self-indulgent. Like, it's is that, isn't that what one of the big drawbacks and one of the big criticisms of uh, Cosmatis's last film, Beyond the oh, Black Rainbow? But Beyond the Black Rainbow is fucking boring. It was boring and pretentious. This is way better. Yeah, it, it is a bit self-indulgent, maybe a little bit pretentious. In I, don't, some I wouldn't aspects, say pretentious because I don't. Think it's a bit it's, more. It's a bit more self-aware though. This I one. don't think it's trying to do anything greater than what it's trying to set out. It's just the presentation is, is can be very self-indulgent, like especially scenes like early on, like you know, just throw like you know a filter and you know do this weird thing with a strobe light just to make things mm. like really simple things look cool. Like it can it can get a bit old over time, but the like the final act that's what you really want to watch mm. I would definitely recommend even though I didn't like it as much uh, yeah Mandy I, I want to say it again with a less shitty audience so I think this is actually getting a one night only cinema release sometime in September or I think oh. is playing I believe it's playing as part of the uh, Monster Fest like that, that do all these kinds of exploitation horror movies and like these kind of grindhouse horror movies. So if you like, maybe keep an eye out. I believe it's playing at Monster Fest. And actually, if you uh, live in Sydney, I believe this is playing part of the Sydney Underground Film Festival. So uh, check that out. Along with another film that I'm going to talk about later, Madeline's Madeline, that is also playing there. I'm not sure when, but uh, the guys I'm, but the guys I'm from Film Fight Club who I met down, who I got to talk to down in Melbourne, uh, they. Uh, they told me that it's playing up in uh, Sydney Underground Film Festival. So uh, if you're in Sydney and you want to see Mandy, check it out there. Mm. I highly recommend it. And on that note, part two of our Melbourne International Film Festival wrap-up has come to a close. And I just want to cor- quickly correct something that Eric and I talked about in this episode. When discussing Season of the Devil, the literal two-faced dictator of that film is not meant to be a representation of Rodrigo Duterte, who is the current uh, president of the Philippines. Uh, He was actually meant to be a representation, as the film is set in the late 70s, a representation of the then uh, dictator of uh, the Philippines, uh, Ferdinand Marcos. Sorry about that slip-up. Uh, we really should have been more researched at this point, and I'll make, I'll make sure that doesn't happen again. But I hope that hasn't detracted you from, you know, listening to other episodes, because part three's still got to come out, guys. So stick around for that. Um, that's to be recorded still, because uh, part one and part two were both the same episode, just, th- just was the run recording, just split into two halves. So part three will be recorded hopefully sometime this week, and will be out 
sometime next week. But in the meantime, you know, I mean, if you haven't listened to part one, I mean, what are you doing listening to part two before part one? That's just silly. But for whatever reason, if you haven't listened to that, go over and listen to that. A whole bunch of really cool movies discussed in that episode. I mentioned a bunch of those films at the top. But in the meantime, you know what you can do? You can, if you, and especially if you enjoyed this, you can head over to iTunes and click that subscribe button. And you know what? If you would like this, give this a five-star review. That'd be really, really appreciated. Or, you know, if you're a SoundCloud person, head over to our SoundCloud and hit that follow button. And if you like the episode, you know, hit the like. And whatever podcast hosting site you use, please find us over there. I'm sure you will find ABMP in any deep, dark corner of the internet. I am sure we are there. As for our social medias, you can follow us all over there too. You can like our Facebook page, which is another bloody movie podcast. You can follow our Twitter, which is AB Movie Podcast. You can follow our Instagram, which is at another bloody movie pod. Those uh, accounts are quite inactive, so if more people go over to those accounts and uh, like and follow them, I will make more of a co- I will make a more conscious effort to post more stuff over there. You can also follow my personal Instagram and Twitter, which are much more active than uh, ABMPs, and no, those are both at SeanHub underscore, that is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore, and you can also follow my letterboxd if you want to keep track of what movies I'm watching in between episodes, or see my quick little written reviews, or like just see what ratings I'm giving movies, you can head over to my letterboxd and follow me over there at letterboxd.com forward slash Sean Coates, that is L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D dot com forward slash Sean Coates. And if you want to read some of my written reviews, my longer form written reviews, you can head over to moviebabblereviews.com. At the moment, from the Melbourne International Film Festival, I have a bunch of mini little, uh, a collective, uh, a collection of little mini written reviews that I have done for a number of the films that I have seen at the Melbourne International Film Festival, a number of which I discussed in part one. I will have another one. At the time of this recording, I am writing part two of that one, and hopefully that will be out when this episode drops so keep an eye out for that and i also have a full written review for climax which we discussed in episode one so please go check those out i'd be really appreciated but you know what if you're sick of me rambling on about movies for five ten even 15 minutes at a time and you want to hear me talk about movies for say i don't know 30 seconds and you know you want to actually see my beautiful face you can download the stardust app you can do that for free on from Google Play or the or the App Store, Stardust is a really really cool platform. It's pretty much like Instagram Stories for movie lovers. It's just quick, thirty second videos talking about films and TV shows, doing quick little reactions, and it's a whole lot of fun to use. I use it. I'm at Sean Coates over there. That is just my name with an S, a capital S, and a capital C. Go follow me over there. Download it from the App Store or Google Play. It is a very very fun app. And thank you so much for listening to me you guys stay tuned for episode three we'll be coming out very soon but until then we'll see you later